From Gimlet, I'm Alex Bloomberg, and this is Without Fail, the show where I talk with artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, visionaries of all kinds about their successes and their failures and what they've learned from both. When the HBO comedy Veep premiered in 2012, it immediately won praise for its rapid-fire dialogue and its incredible cast, led by Julia Louis-Dreyfus in the role of Vice President Selena Meyer. But it was Selena Meyer's chief of staff, Amy Bruckheimer, who made a lot of people do a double-take when she first came on screen. Here she is in a scene from the first season. Sorry to interrupt, but... What? Clean Jobs Task Force likely to be greenlit! Exclamation point. Yeah! <laughs> oh my God! God, that is so great for me. And the country? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I meant. Oh, Amy, good job, Amy. Thank you. That's why I get paid the medium bucks. Amy Bruckheimer is played by the actress Anna Klumsky. And when Veep premiered back in 2012, a lot of people watching it had this thought. I've seen her before. Oh, right, we all realized. She was the girl in My Girl, that tear-jerking coming-of-age story from the 90s about the friendship between a young girl and boy. The boy, Thomas J., was played by Macaulay Culkin. And Klumsky's character, Veda, she was quirky and precocious. Here's a scene where they've just been rummaging through the garage and they found something interesting. It's a phrenology chart. They used to study the bumps in your head to see if you had a good personality or not. Come here, I'll diagnose your head. I don't want to Come on, it's fun. Hmm. Interesting. What? You have no personality. Hey, what does it say then? Never mind. Ah, the 90s. They don't make movies like that anymore, do they? My Girl was a huge hit. And the posters for it that were up in theaters and plastered all over every blockbuster in the country all featured Anna Klumsky's face. Overnight, at the age of 10, she was a star. And then she wasn't anymore. She went away for years, left acting completely, before reappearing as an adult in a big role again. And that is why I wanted to talk to her. You have, I think, one of the weirdest careers in Hollywood that I've ever encountered. <laughs> don't you think? I mean, I don't. Obviously, it's it's my it's my, it's my right. life. So I I I definitely think it's. I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think life is weird. Yes. So I think everybody's got a weird <laughs> career and a weird life, right? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is. But that interests me. I want to know what you think the standard career is, and then thereby how I how I um, make it weird. Well, to answer Anna's question, when I think of the career of a child star, I think basically it goes one of two ways. You get your break early on, and then you stay famous and successful forever. You're roles grow and mature as you do, or you get your break early on and tragically flame out while the whole world watches. Anna's career, though, followed neither one of those paths. There was this whole life she lived in between her child stardom and her adult stardom. What was she doing during that time? Where did she go? How do you start on top, disappear, and then get back on top again? When we sat down together, Anna told me the whole story, starting from her earliest experiences in the spotlight. And a quick warning, there's some mild swearing in this episode. Most people became aware of you in the early 90s, 90s yeah. from a movie mm -hmm. called My Girl. Yeah. Um, how did you even get into acting in the first place, though? Like, what was the what was your trajectory as a, as a child? As a kid, it was yeah. I was I was in an agency before I was conscious. Really, I mean, I was 10 months old when I had my first print ad in Carson Peary Scott. Oh, Chicago um, ad, yeah, yeah, in Chicago, yeah, very good. Yeah. And uh, and so it was all like ads, and then I was in a commercial when I was two, and then. 
And yeah, so when you're in an, in an agency, they just put you out for stuff. And so I just went up for um, my girl, which then was called Born Jaundiced. And because uh, that's the first, <laughs> God, know, that's the first a... like stuff in the, I know, wouldn't that have been a hit? Such a worse name. It would have been Lord. such a hit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we went up, I went up for that. Like they just did this, you know, nationwide kind of cattle call uh-huh. looking for some kid to do it. And, uh, and I did a tape of it and I wore a Cubs hat. And it was a neon pink Cubs hat because I heard she was a tomboy. So it's like, well, then she's going to wear a Cubs hat. Uh Um, And I think Howard Zeef, God rest, came in. He was the director. Uh So we could do another reading. And then I went out. And at this point, so this is like you're you're eight or nine. Um, That's nine. Nine. I'm nine. And I'm also at that time in a a dinner theater production of Annie. Okay. As one is. Uh, Yes. At nine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so, so you're going into the edition for, for my girl, yeah. which at the time was called Born, Born Jaundice. Jaundice yeah. Are you, are you excited though? Like, what is the feeling? Are you like sort from, of like. From the tape of Born Jaundice? No. No, no, no. Like, for, like care. when you go on the audition, are you, are you like, gosh, I hope I get this. Well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. no, I mean, when you go on a tape, like, like when you're just doing a self tape at your, at your agents, like you don't. Yeah. Like, no, it's just something you have to do and you do the audition and then you go back to school. Like, hopefully you'll be able to get back to school before school's out because oh. that's embarrassing. So it's just a thing that like your mom puts on your calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So it sounds like it was almost like a dentist appointment. Or it something. was like a dentist appointment, but like all the time. And so, so how did you find out? And so then when you got it, what was that like for you? The, the fun thing was when Howard came in to town I just loved talking to him because he loved singing in the rain and knew Stanley Donnan, who directed it. And like, I was just like, somebody, like, who knows this? Right. And then. <laughs> so, like, finally, somebody in my town who can geek out about right. Stanley Donnan. Yeah, which was like, that's <laughs> really cool. Who and who, is. like, really values my Lena Lamont impression, you know, at nine years old. <laughs> Who's Lena Lamont? Lena Lamont is the, the femme fatale. You know, she plays the, uh-huh. the movie star with the you know, of the silent screen who has a horrible voice and so therefore cannot move on to... Have you ever seen uh, him sing in the rain? No. Oh, God, what am I doing here? <laughs> what am I... <laughs> I've heard there's technology where they can put pictures with the words, yeah, but I have not, you should I have see not the movie. You should certainly see the movie. <laughs> um, so you got a call back, essentially. Yeah, that's and what that Then he came to, to, to Chicago to sort of like do yeah. a second audition. Yeah. And then what did you do? Did you just go in and you just started geeking like, out Like did the about... same stuff. Yeah, did the stuff again. At the time, there was a scene where I had to like dance with like a coat rack. So they put up a coat rack and have you dance with a coat rack. Uh-huh. I think that's in the movie. So <laughs> once that, once it became a hit, it was like one of the biggest hits of 1991. Yeah. Um, how, how much did your life change after that? Like, Everything. It was, it was in the truest sense of the word. I mean, I've been to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a trauma, you know, every, it's, it's defined as everything, everything before and everything after. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So that's, and, yeah. And it's everything. interesting. You, you use the word trauma. Like normally people don't consider like massive overnight success traumatic. I think people, I think they're wrong. 
how I understand the definition is a trauma, like childbirth is a trauma, uh-huh. but it doesn't mean that it's negative. Trauma isn't just negative. Trauma, you know, it's like a paradigm shift. It's like you, it's for me, the easiest litmus test to describe a trauma is when you are defining as everything that happened before said thing and everything that happened after said thing. So that's why childbirth, you would say, well, before, uh-huh. right. you know, before baby, blah, 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 blah. And after baby, blah, 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 blah. And you I know? guess there's also sort of a thing about like, it also separates you from the prior you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How did that new you compare to the prior you? Um, distrustful of everybody I met. <laughs> it made you trust people less? Yeah. Definitely made me trust people less. This is from afar, like I can explain it from a, a far view, is from that moment on, I was objectified. Not just by the people whom I was auditioning for, not just by the people sometimes who were making me audition, but now by everybody, like everybody. You are you are now for public consumption. So that's that's different. <laughs> and you're a 10. You're 10. Yeah. yeah. It's like you'd go to, you know, you'd go to your family reunion one year, right? Mm-hmm. Pre-My Girl. And you're having fun. You go to the carnival. You hang out. You watch fireworks. Whatever. Next year, post my girl, you go to the family reunion and you are meeting a whole bunch of your your cousin's friends who don't believe that they know you. You are doing autographs. You are getting pulled away from said carnival to do somebody's mm-hmm. autograph or take a picture. So it's like even the people who who you've known your whole life are now seeing you differently. And on top of all of this, 10-year-old Anna was now the family's main breadwinner. So, Did you feel that pressure to keep earning? Yeah. From 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 whom? Um, she didn't mean it, but yeah, my, my, you know, like absolutely like from my mom and from any, but like, yeah, I was aware that like we needed to figure out a way, like. What, what did your mom, what did your mom do for, do, do for a living? The way we handled it is she, um, became my manager. She was my manager. So she got a manager's fee. Uh-huh. And so therefore she could be with me 24 seven when I'm doing these jobs. Cause, cause we, they, my parents were divorced. So it was right. me and my mom. So it was, it wasn't like somebody could handle home and then the other person goes. It, some mm-hmm. some families did it that way where it was like, yeah. the, you know. So it was for the right reasons, but the ancillary, you know, kind of shadow um, result is that, oh, crap, this is how we both make money. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, it's so many layers of, of complication to put on top of this already hard time. Yeah. Coming up, Anna Klumski's family finances face a new threat. Acne. I didn't get the pick of the litter after that. I was rejected a ton during that time. Uh-huh. For And most of the time they were telling me it was because of my appearance, especially going through puberty. What it's like to be rejected by Hollywood just as you're hitting the hardest part of growing up after the break. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money. Up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with actress Anna Klumski. 
After My Girl came out in 1991, there was a sequel, My Girl 2. But after that, the offers started dwindling. The biggest reason was that Anna was starting to grow up. She no longer looked like the gangly tomboy she played just a few years earlier. Puberty sucks and your home runs on nuts and your my face is awful, blah, blah, blah. I saw a different dermatologist every weekend. Mm-hmm. So that was crazy. And then it was the fat thing. So then it was like, okay, we're going to take her lunch break. She's only allowed to have this type of food. And then we're going to have her go next door to the gym. And they would like try to make me work out, which was just like, I'm not athletic. I'm a dancer, but I'm not athletic. They finally got it later on. They're like, oh, what if we give her dance lessons for free? And I'm like, yeah, Uh yeah. What would they try to make you do? They'd like put me on the treadmill and they'd put me on the, they'd get, you know, one guy would be like, oh, she'll have fun playing basketball. She likes the bulls, right? I'm like, no, I like to watch the bulls. I don't like to try. Stop it. It was, anyway. So yeah, it was just like this crazy, like experimentation of adults trying to make me exercise. And, uh, and that's while I was working. Uh So then after that, you try to get work and like, Now, all of a sudden, a bunch of cute, like, you know, gals have, like, moved up, and they look like great teenagers that everybody wants to see. Uh And I don't look like the teenager that people want to see because I'm, like, (laughs) busting out all over the place, and my (laughs) skin is bad. So there's no, like, oh, you know, the world opens up and everything's – the world opens up, shows you what you could have, and then it says, no, you can't have it because you're fat. Like, that's what – that's how it's pan out. (laughs) Like that. (laughs) So when did you decide then out of all that to like, just be like, okay, I'm. So there was this great day. Cause like, so for years I would go into the same agency and self tape and not get anything. So that just sucked. It was like, you know, four years of sucking. Right. And then I get to college. I remember going on a self tape and by then I was like driving myself and, and, uh, and I remember it sucking (laughs) and I got out and I, through the um the sides on my chair on the on the passenger seat the sides oh sides are, are pages that you read um in an audition uh-huh. sorry and I just remember this moment of like out of body a little bit of like looking at the sides and being like those could stay there forever I never have to do that again if I don't want to like I never have to feel this way I never have to like this is my choice like I don't have to do this anymore um and that was really liberating. It's like getting your driver's license. You know, it's like that feeling of like when you have your driver's license and then taking your first drive by yourself. Like, you know, it was that feeling. Yeah. It felt light. That's a great feeling too. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that feeling. It's good. It's a a good feeling. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, you might have to quit your job. I'm kidding. (laughs) Deciding to walk away from acting, Anna was walking away from the only identity she'd ever known. And she was trying to transition into something that for her was a brand new identity. A normal, everyday college student. After that moment with the sides in her car, she just dove into life at the University of Chicago. What is it like to be at the University of Chicago and just to be a a student and not- Heaven. Heaven. (laughs) I mean, I know anybody who knew me would like laugh because they're like, you cried in your dorm every night. Okay, fine. But, but like, that's standard. But that's life. That's just life. <laughs> that's that was life. It was boys. That wasn't, that yeah. way, like the actual, the, you're behind the walls of academia. Uh-huh. Did you feel, did your, did, because of your prior experience, did you feel like different from the people around you? Did you feel like there was like some stuff in common? Like how, how did you fit in to the community there? I think I felt I don't know. It's weird. It's like the, I mean, and anybody will tell you the great thing about going to undergrad is like, it's clean slate territory, right? It's like you get to 
like you get to meet people like face on. There was yeah. there did start to be like this sense of just like, well, we're all kind of got our heads down and are trying to figure out Kant thing. Did you ever meet people who didn't know your backstory? Who didn't at all? Probably, but they had heard about it then from a friend. Right. Oh, well, she's about, oh, well, I didn't see it. That was my, I mean, my boyfriend who now is my husband. I mean, he, he just hadn't, I don't, I don't know if he saw it or he just, he really didn't give a shit. Like mm-hmm. he could not have given less of a shit, uh-huh. which made him very appealing to me. At the, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, the thing that everybody's trying to figure out in college is like, what am I going to be when I grow up? Right. What did you decide that you wanted to be in college? <laughs> um, well, I got into U of C thinking I'd be a biologist. Okay. And then I just didn't want to take the OCHEM. The OCHEM? Like, oh, like uh, organic chemistry. Oh. And because oh, I realized, I, yeah, in order to be, like, I was like, oh, shit. I thought that I was just going to get to, like, collect specimens from, like, Borneo. And so then I I was looking at history. I was looking at linguistics. I landed on um, international relations, which is the politics of international studies. So I think I thought I was going to work for the State Department. Uh-huh. God, that's <laughs> uh, so funny. That's what I, that was sort of me, too. I was yeah. like, I was going to be, yeah. Did you look like, at that Foreign Service exam study guide and go, nope, because I did. I didn't even get there. <laughs> I didn't like, even get there. I yeah. had the packet, the Foreign Service exam study guide, just staring at me while I was writing my thesis in my uh-huh. senior year. And I was just like, oh, fuck. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I don't want to do this. It was the same feeling as the sides on the passenger seat. It was right. like, I don't want to do this. I don't, and I don't have to. And I don't have to, but God, now what do I do? And so this, by this point, you're like a senior. I was a senior. I was going to graduate. You know, I was terrified. Ugh. By the way, mission complete, though, at this point, like you have like fully graduated back into complete normalcy yes! at that point. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I totally agree. Like that is the classic, yeah. like there is not a college student approaching their senior yeah. year who could not relate to yeah. like, God, what am I going to do? And then they do? go, what do I love? And then you're like, yeah, okay. So I like travel and I like food. So I'm going to be a food travel writer. And like, what- Is that what you did? What chick do you meet right now who graduates from college and isn't saying that? Like, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like come on. Anna's path from the spotlight to utter normalcy was complete. Coming up after the break, how she found the spotlight again via a chance encounter with the 70s musical icon. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with Anna Klumsky. After college, Anna went from everyday college student to everyday postgraduate. She had a new dream, being a food travel writer. And so she moved to New York and started going on job interviews. What was the first job interview you went on? Um... I, I mean, I think it's the one I took, which was Zagat. So I went to Zagat. Any children listening? Before there was the internet, uh, there was a thing called Zagat. Oh my God. Yeah, we were, yes. we were pre-internet. Yeah, yeah, We were yeah. pre, yeah. Which told you which restaurants which to go restaurants to. Which restaurants to go to. And there were surveys. So yeah. it was not actual food writing. Yeah. Which was the other blow. Uh-huh. It was an internship at the time, but okay. paid. Uh-huh. Go figure. Whoa. I know. Fancy Zagat. It's the knots. <laughs> um, <laughs> So what was the what was the high point of that job and what was the low point of that job? <laughs> the high point <laughs> was my friends. So it was me and two um two other people. We were all in a in a in a windowless room called the war room where we were all just 
fact-checking constantly and going through these checklists. And so we were bored off our ass. And the cool thing was, what, Rob— what, what facts were you checking? Sorry. Oh, um, yeah, hours. Um, hours at the You know, open. where are you? What's your cross street? Right. You know, like the stuff that you actually could see. So there's in like the a book. page in the Zagats that's like, Carmine's Restaurant, open yep. 7 to 10. Yep. And you were like, calling yeah. Carmine's. And was yes. like, are you open from 7 yes, to 10? Yes, exactly. Gotcha. Exactly okay. right. Um, so that's what we did. And— Rob, at the time, was studying to be a, a child psychologist, a school psychologist. Mm -hmm. And so he was taking a course on interpreting children's art. And so he would practice on us. And so, like, he would give us an assignment that you would theoretically give to a kid with crayons. And we uh -huh. would all, like, you know, draw a picture. And then he could, like, interpret stuff from our pictures. So there were, like, these, like, adult <laughs> child drawings <laughs> everywhere. Oh. And so we had those pictures everywhere. And then we had... He was also obsessed with the Law and Order theme. And then uh -huh. one day we discovered that the Law and Order theme sounded, we were like, wait, it also kind of sounds like Doogie Hauser. Wait, it also sort of sounds like Quantum Leap. And so like we all discovered collectively, because again, we're really, really bored, that that's all the same composer. Um, oh. And I want to say it's Mark Post. Anyway. The, 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 dun, 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 <laughs> all those, dun, so like he marketed, one? yeah, he cornered the market of the digital um, TV theme. Wow. So he became like our mascot. And so we like printed a picture of his face and like we put that up above the children's. So that was the high point. <laughs> but that is, it's so funny because that is the classic high point of your post-collegiate experience is that you're sort of like, you're, the job sucks, the pay sucks. Yeah. It's really fucking boring. Yeah. But then you make these relationships. Yes. That like in your early 20s that are just yes. sort of like, oh, that's my friend for life yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 And at the time that this is happening and you're experiencing, do you do you have something of a dual consciousness about it? Do you have the sense of sort of like, I am living this like sort of like regular normal thing and experiencing the normal ups mm -hmm. and downs? And in the back of your mind, is the, do you have that dual consciousness? Yeah, especially because when I first moved to New York, I did get in touch with um, an agency here to kind of like, quote unquote, hang on to my headshot <laughs> in case, whatever encasement, right? And um I remember like going and meeting that agency and then, you know, they and they throw you the whole like, oh, we're going to do this for you. We're going to do that for you. Uh -huh. I did sign with them for 15 years and they were wonderful and they helped uh -huh. me with my career. But, um, but at the time I was freaked out and I just remember crying in the, in the elevator and like going back to work and just, and this could be the low point of that job. Like I went back to the, to the, um, the office and I was just bawling with my friends and they were, they were, they were looking at me like, what's wrong with you? What was wrong like, with you? Like, what was um, it crying about? I was crying because it was going back to a time that I remembered from zero to 18. You know what I mean? Like that that was my whole existence of like sitting in agencies and being told that you were going to be somebody and it was all being a line of bullshit, right? And was the crying because you you did want it but you knew it was a lie or yeah. was it uh, Yeah. Okay. I liked it. I like I liked hearing that in the room and believing it in the room and then got to the elevator and realized what real life is and like all the things I'd learned up till then and then I just yeah, then just like And then you got, and then you got back to your actual real life, which yeah. was like a $29,000 a year job in a windowless room. Yeah. Which was horrible. Let, let's face it, that's a horrible job. Yeah. <laughs> we made the best of it, <laughs> but it's awful. And that, of course, is the downside of achieving normalcy. There's not much glamour in it. And so, Anna did what you do when you're in a depressing entry-level job just out of college. She tried to move up. She got a slightly better job as an editorial assistant in the sci-fi and fantasy department at HarperCollins, the publishing house. She did some freelance internet writing. She enrolled in fiction writing workshops and in general made her way through her early 20s as if the first 18 years of her life had never happened. 
so when did you go from that to like, actually, you know what? I think I might want to get back into acting. When did that happen? Um, the first itch happened when I went to see, so I was seeing tons of theater. I was like, that was like the point of being in New York, in my opinion. I was like, well, I'm going to go and see shows. And right. Um, so I went to see um, The Goat or Who is Sylvia by Edward Albee. Uh-huh. Um, Mercedes Rule was in it with Bill mm-hmm. Pullman. And um, <laughs> she just, ah, she was just everything. She was just like everything you want an actress to be. Mm-hmm. Like she just killed it. And and mm-hmm. I, my mom was with me and my friend Melissa and we were giving a standing O. And then I said it audibly out loud next to my mom, whom I was very embarrassed to say this in front of because I didn't want to admit it. But I just, I went, I have to do that. I went, I have to do that. And then I heard, I felt like my mom go, oh, really? And I was like, no, no. But that was the feeling. And I did say it out loud. So, okay. So, so you, you fight it. What actually got you back into the business? Um, a series of things. I think it started with several friends of mine. It was a kung fu friend of mine named Steve, and um, another a kung fu. Friend? I was in a kung fu school. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, you just dropped it there, like I would understand. <laughs> you know, anyway. yeah. So I was in a kung fu school, and um, and I also had another uh, dear friend, um, Dana, and so we. I had had conversations with both of them in like the same week, I think, of just like, what's wrong with me? I'm so sad. I, I mean, I was sad. And uh, and both of them were like, well, you know, your problem is you need to get back into acting. And I was like, shut up. I hate you. You know, like, don't say that. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, there was a day where I was getting a pedicure and they were like, oh, Roberta Flack is over there. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And she's like, do you want to meet her? And I'm like, I don't bother her. <laughs> Come on, you know. And she's like, no, she wants to meet you. I'm like, what a okay. So I go over there with like bare feet and, you know, and Roberta Flack shakes my hand. She's like, hi, honey, how are you? And I'm like, hi, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> like, whenever I'm uh, sorry to bother. Am I, uh, and Killing and me softly, you mean so much. I, I mean, I just was just like, uh, but also I'm very much a person who will not, I will yes. not go to ask people to meet people. But anyway, she was like, she's like, so what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm done with all of it. I'm done. I'm publishing. I'm a writer. And she looked at me like I had seven heads and she was just like, Oh, oh, okay. Okay. You know, and I was just like, oh, and I felt a little like I disappointed her. Uh-huh. Um, and so then <laughs> I'm crying on my lunch break another day. <laughs> and I'm going back to get to the office. And there was always this psychic on the block by my office. And she you know, I was like, hey, I have something to say to you. you know, I have a message for you. And I was like, yeah, message. Of course. Yeah. Duh. No. So I'm moving on. And she followed me. She like left all of her stuff, followed me and like tapped me on the shoulder. And she's like, hey, excuse me. And I like turn. I'm like, what? And she was like, you're the girl from my girl. And I was like, Ugh. yeah, thank you. <laughs> like, really? And then she's like, you still want to do it. And and I was like, <laughs> and I can say this now. In the old days, I didn't used to admit to this, but she said $40 for 10-minute palm reading. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I did not have money back. Like, come on, what was I doing? $40 in cash. That could have paid for four meals. That was the easiest cold read of her entire life, by the way. <laughs> if like... <laughs> 
like your friends at the publishing company know it and like random people that you meet on the street know it and Roberta Flack who never met knew it. It was oozing out of my soul, obviously. Oh my God. That's hilarious. But yeah, so, you know, I paid 40 bucks for (laughs) 10 minute palm reading and this just goes to show you how desperate I am for answers. Right. And so then I got on the phone that night, tell the story to my then boyfriend, now husband. He was um, training in Arizona for Army Reserve. And so I was like, this is what happened. And then and then I was like, maybe I need to see a therapist. And he goes, well, what would they ask you that you can't already ask yourself? And I was, I mean, this is good, right? This, you uh, marry a guy like this. And yeah. so I was like, in my head, I asked the question, which is like, what do you really want to do, right? And so I said to him, I was like, what would you say if I told you I wanted to try auditioning again? And he said, I cannot be <laughs> training in the Army Reserve right now and tell you like not to take a risk <laughs> with your life, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, So that was it. And the next day you got the job then, on Veep. <laughs> then, then, yep. <laughs> See? But yeah, no, that's obviously not what happened. But that's, you know, the next day, I well, I got in touch with the agency and I was like, okay, I'm over myself now. Now I really do want to go on auditions. What do I do? Uh-huh. And they were like, go train. And uh, so then I looked up acting acting schools and I didn't, I really didn't look back. So you started, so you started the classes and then you started going on, on auditions? Uh-huh, yeah. I mean- from what I understand about acting and auditions, there's still a lot of rejection. Absolutely. But I had a much better handle on it because the because there were several things that, that helped me when I got back into it. One, just getting 10 minutes to practice was valuable. And I feel that way now, too. It's like just getting that moment to perform for 10 minutes is practicing the craft. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's more valuable than like sitting on your couch and not doing that. Right. So I'll take it. It's like reps. Right. And so there's that. And then two, because I had spent a year rejecting people's written materials because I was an editorial assistant, I had a much better handle on how impersonal that is. So the so the, the role that you're known for now and that you've been playing for the last six. Yeah, eight six, years. Six seasons, eight I years. I mean, seven seasons, eight years yes. because we had a year. Yeah. 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 Um, is uh, Amy Brookheimer. On Veep. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. When you first saw that role, was it like, was it something that you wanted immediately? Was it like something that you were just like, oh, it's another role? Like, how did you feel about? I knew I wanted it immediately because it was it was Arm's show. It was uh-huh. Armando Yanucci's show. And I had worked with him on In the Loop. And it was the best job I had had to date. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm, say a word about him. I mean. He's yeah. a celebrated visionary Writer-director. Writer-director. Yes, that, yeah. yes. And like, Death of and, Stalin, see it. Uh-huh. It's his style that that kicked us off. You know, it's that fly-on-the-wall kind of Altman-y. Yeah. Um, he's very interested in, like, the comedy of and the absurdity of, of actual life. Yes. What I love about, about your character is that, like, it's both inc- – it's completely believable. Mm-hmm. It feels completely true and real, but at the same time it's also like utterly absurd. It's absurd. Yes. And yes. like and 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 like you have this dual feeling is like, oh yeah, somebody would talk exactly like that and nobody would ever really talk that way. Um I want to play you can I play you a little a clip of yeah. like, So this is like sort of in season 4 okay. and uh 
and it's it's where you are leaving yeah. the, the president. And this is after like four seasons of sort of loyal service yeah. and like very thankless service. Yeah. And, and you're just like long suffering. She's sort of like ridiculous and you're the only one who's competent. Yeah. Well, ish. Ish, right. Talk to Ron Klain about that. <laughs> so, so, so in this clip, Selena Meyer, the president, who's played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, is choosing a running mate. And she's talking to this advisor that she has, this woman, Karen, who's played by Lennon Parham. And Karen is like famously wishy-washy. She never actually says what she thinks. And your character, Amy, does say what she thinks and, and can't take it anymore. And finally, just breaks in. Karen, what do you think of Pierce? Well, I think um, there are pros and cons to every candidate. So we just need to weigh up the pros and cons. Have you been sent from the future to destroy me? Because it's working! I think that each candidate has merits and demerits, and I don't know my left butt cheek from my right butt cheek, but I believe in listening to both butt cheeks and then farting out my asshole mouth. Oh, it's not! Even bullshit. Bullshitting takes talent. You have none. You are just a blah, 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 blah bitch. Okay, <laughs> Amy, that is enough. I have bitten my tongue so long, it looks like a dog's cushion. But no more. You have made it impossible to do this job. You have two settings, no decision and bad decision. I wouldn't let you run a bath without having the Coast Guard and the fire department standing by, but yet here you are running America. You are the worst thing that has happened to this country since food in buckets and maybe slavery. I've had enough. I'm gone. Well, I guess she's finished with her little... Sp oh, nope. Look at that. There's more. You have achieved nothing uh -huh. apart from one thing. The fact that you are a woman means we will have no more women presidents because we tried when and she fucking sucked. Goodbye, man. <laughs> There's so much. I almost start crying at the Aww, end. Like, well, yeah, that was the that's the hard one to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't have a question other than like it was so <laughs> cool. It's so amazing to see somebody who is like able to do so many different things in a scene and just like <laughs> such perfect comic timing and then such pathos at the end. Thank you. How many times did you did it take we, to get that? We did a couple. We did several. You know, I think that like we really felt like we found the sweet spot when it was like when I was having all when I was letting the lid off but then trying really hard to put it back on. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? So that's that's what we've got there is like have all the feelings but really try not to not to show them. <laughs> right. Because like, that's the thing is that you've been, previous to this, you've been just basically biting your tongue. You get mad. Which happened all the time. Yeah. But, I you mean, were like, like, yeah. but you couldn't ever uncork. Right. This was the uncork for us as a viewer, but in the playing of it, you, you know, I can play to the back row. Yeah. So like, we still had to put the, yeah. we still really had to put the lid on. Which, which is nice. So that was your version. It was a character's version of uncorking. Even in, yes. even in uncorking, she's exactly. not going to like completely. Amy, yeah, yeah, Amy doesn't play in the background. She's row. too type A to like completely <laughs> just like go all out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's the beauty of collaboration is it's like, you know, I'm there to present all of the range. You know, do you want it tiny and nothing or do you want it huge? And then our producers can come in. I remember that when it was like Simon Blackwell was the one who was like, okay, that's great. And like, now can we just like lit it? And I'm like, okay. And so we did. And then it came out, you know what I mean? So it's like everybody then kind of helps shape mm -hmm. the performance, which yeah. is awesome. That's why I love what I do. Yeah. Are you back for good? Yeah. 
yeah, this is my job. This is my vocation, my profession. You know, I I do this for all of the the correct reasons now. Uh huh. Even on the days where you're like, because there's days, and depending on what project you're on, you're like, oh god, do I really need to learn these? Or you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But like, but yeah, no, I'm not. I'm in it for good. This is what you're meant to do. Yeah, I yeah. feel so. I feel so. I, I think it's clear. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh, jeez. That was my conversation with Anna Klumski. It's not just me that thinks she's doing what she's meant to do, by the way. She's earned five Emmy nominations for her performance as Amy Bruckheimer in Veep. The seventh and final season is out now on HBO. Without Fail is hosted by me and produced by Molly Messick and Rob Zipko. It is edited by me and Devin Taylor. We had editing help this week from Caitlin Kenny. Music and mixing by Bobby Lord. If you like Without Fail, make sure you're subscribed. You can get every episode for free through Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Listening.